Hello and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes for the week ending June 5th, 2020. This is our 33rd video cast and 23rd podcast. So welcome. Got a lot of great stuff to cover today. And I'm in a suit uh, and on screen again this week because I had Fox Business uh, today at 3.05 p.m. So I figured I'd keep the suit on and throw the camera on. Why not? Uh, so um, before we get started, I just want to uh, say, I know this is a markets-based uh, podcast, video cast. I know it's um, been a tough week for the country and uh, with, with the tragic death in Minneapolis. Um, uh, I, I think good will come out of it over time. Justice will be served. Um, and I think the peaceful protests have been very, very constructive. And I think that the um, other aspects uh, are, are going away and we're just left with a, a unified voice of people who want to see justice and want to see uh, a, a better policy and equality, which, which is going to be a very, very constructive thing moving forward. So with that said, let's, let's move over to the markets. Um, and this first one, we're going to start with the media like we do each week and the message is covered. This was from Monday. I was on Fox Business with Liz Clayman and want to thank Liz Clayman for the Clayman countdown and Ellie Terrett, the producer, for having me on. And what we covered on Monday was, and you can watch all of these if you just click on featured on at hedgefundtips.com. They all pop right up. But we talked about the broadening participation. And for this rally to sustain itself, uh, which it is doing, we would need to continue to see those laggard stocks start to participate. The cyclicals, the value stocks, the ones that outperform coming out of a recession. And there were two measures that we've covered in recent weeks. One it was that uh, as of Monday, 95% of the S&P 500 stocks were trading above their 50-day moving average. And that's why everyone was saying the market was overbought. But if you look back throughout history, this has happened five times in the last 20 years after 20% plus corrections in the market. And 100% of the time, even though the market was maybe up 20, 30, 40, 50% off the lows, when that metric hit 95% of the stocks above the 50-day moving average, it was the beginning of a multi-year bull market, not the end. So that's very, very constructive. Um, that's not to say that the market doesn't consolidate some of the gains, but it just gives you a perspective of what's worked in, in the past with regard to that level of overbought coming out of deep recession. In a trending or sideways market, if you're at 95% above the 50-day moving average, you know it's, it's normal to get a big uh, correction when you're in a normal market. But coming out of a huge collapse and dislocation, it's often the beginning, even if you're up 30, 40% plus, um, it persists, even if in the short term it, it you know, uh, consolidates sideways for a bit or even pulls back a little bit. The other thing is the S&P stocks above the 200-day moving average were at 46% at that point, and we've covered that in recent weeks, that when, you, when it had gone from below 5 to above 60, and probably this weekend it might, might actually wind up above 60, that was also a trigger that recovery was here, and that will be a good thing to take a look at um, uh, coming, coming, in coming days. The other thing we talked about is um, why we've been pounding the table 
for since since March and April, you can see in our media spots about cyclicals um, and, you know, banks, defense stocks, uh, home builders, small caps and energy is what we've really been pounding the table on. And um, because that's it's not a, an argument about which is better value or growth. I'm, I'm agnostic to that. But what you do see is initially coming out of a recession, and this will be deemed a technical recession because it's two quarters of negative growth. Um, I do believe that the recovery is gonna be very, very uh, much steeper than, just as the crash was steeper than anything in history, I think the recovery is gonna be faster than uh, what we've seen in most cases uh, very, very quick. Um, so we wanted to emphasize that. And the other thing that I talked about, because there was so much hate about value stocks and saying, oh, this is just going to be another suckers thing where, where value starts to work and then it doesn't, um, is that if you look at the 2009 Great Recession, 2008-2009, I, I pointed out five of the stocks that came out of that they were hated value laggard stocks no one wanted to touch them and they're all up 10 times or they all appreciated 10 times during this cycle at least 900 percent gains on capital so you know if you had invested ten thousand dollars it was worth a hundred thousand dollars and uh they were very sleepy value stocks that no one wanted to touch and we're going to go into it in the article this week uh, a bit more um the other couple points that I covered, obviously the consumer came into this crisis with much better balance sheet um, than they'd had. So uh, their savings rate is up uh, 300% since 2005. Um, the stimulus checks have helped w increase their, their savings rate. Uh, companies have shored up their balance sheet. They've issued more debt in the last uh, first five months of the year than they normally do in a full year. So they've recapitalized, which is very, very positive. Uh, obviously, you saw about the um, Russian government had ordered uh, Avifavir, which is the Japanese drug from uh, the Fuji company that has anecdotally worked to help people with coronavirus. You know, more studies need to be done. But at, at the end of the day, we may not get a efficacy from any treatment. OK, but w as long as it's safe, we should try whatever we can, as long as there are no contraindications and safety. And the doc doctors will co corroborate that if you talk with them. I'm, I'm not making any advice. I'm, I'm just saying that by the time you get a double blind study, it's a year out. We don't need it. Same with the vaccine. If we get a vaccine in a year or two years, it's completely useless to us. So. Um, uh, so there's talk about that. Uh, there's also talk about uh, ivermectin. I know I've brought it up a, a few times in recent weeks, but there's a lot of talk about that. So I hope that the doctors in the U.S. are on it and testing it because I know the concierge doctors all throughout the tri-state area, that's, that's what they're giving their patients and getting great results. Again, anecdotal, uh, but the key thing here is safety so if it's safe and i know that one's used, been used for decades for uh parasites and lice and scabies and that type of thing um but it, it's cheap it's plentiful and so long as they can prove out it doesn't hurt people and the efficacy extends well beyond thousands of anecdotes uh that might be a positive thing but leaving that all aside um the 
pressures down on the hospital system, on the healthcare system, so you know we can handle any flare-ups that come up in coming months, uh, even if we don't have a treatment in time. The other aspect that I covered was uh, that the global fiscal stimulus is now 12% of global GDP. That is a huge, huge positive. Uh, we saw some more come out this week with Europe getting on the ball, uh, which is going to be a, a positive thing. And most importantly, obviously, countries and states just reopening left and right and bringing back demand. And you're seeing that in the oil prices. So that was the crux of what I covered on Monday on Liz Clayman's show. Again, thanks to Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett. Then on, I think it was Wednesday, I got a call to go on BBC News, uh, their, their world news. And that was broadcast live from Singapore. And I want to thank Mariko Oi and Derek Kai for having me on for that segment. And what they needed to discuss was that uh, on that day, the U.S. government had put a ban on all flights coming in, in China, from China starting June 16th because Delta and United Airlines had applied on June 1st to renew their flight patterns to China and, and China, they were initially rejected. Um, I went on and you can watch this and said that I think there's a high likelihood that this will get resolved. What the U.S. administration is basically saying is that uh, we want fair and reciprocal trade. If we're allowing your flights and they've allowed 34 in since the since the, uh, the, the coronavirus crisis in March, 34 flights have come from China round trip. If we're allowing your flights in, then you have to allow ours in. And if uh, in the meantime, we will only, between now and June 16th, we will allow the same number of flights in from China that you allow in from the United States. And on the 16th, we will cut off all of your flights if you don't open up flights to us. Um, and my message to Mariko Oi was that it's in everyone's interest to cooperate moving forward, you know, coming out of a fragile, you know, basically the, the global economy just had a heart attack. They've done the paddles on it and we're all recovering together. So it's in everyone's interest to get this resolved. And uh, that proved to be prescient as the next day, or I think this was, uh, yeah, yesterday, uh, China to allow foreign airlines to re restore some flights after U.S. pressure. So that's a good thing. It's a smart thing on behalf of China. It's a good thing for America to stand up for our co companies as well so that they can get their businesses back on track, keep people employed, and uh, keep commerce going and keep trade going. You know, the last thing you want if you're having back and forth is for people not to be in communication. And the more business people that are going back and forth, the more likely things are to you know, stay together and everyone move ahead together. So that, that was a good thing. Uh, the other aspect was that you know, we outlined the different tensions that were still in the air, uh, but they're getting resolved. The trade deal is still uh, moving forward as it had been. The Chinese had uh, American exporters are selling their so soy to China still, and they're upholding the terms of the trade agreement. So that's that's a good thing for all parties, and um, let's let's hope that continues moving forward. So uh, thank you again to Mariko Oi and Derek Kai. Um, then on the next day, I was in an article in Reuters, and they were asking me like, can this rally last? 
And on that day, the cyclicals were up. So energy and financials were leading. And I said, this rally can and will continue to the extent that cyclicals continue to lead the way. You know, you continue to have that broadening participation. And we saw some of that today as huge of a rally as we had today. It was led all by, you know, energy, banks, um, you know, industrials, defense stocks, small caps, home builders, etc. And if you looked on what actually was negative on the day, if you can imagine having negative stocks when the Dow was up eight, eight, 800 plus points, it was all cloud stocks, cyclical, uh, not, not cyclical, all cloud and tech stocks. So the ones that have had the run. And we're going to go into that on this article. So I want to thank uh, Devik Jain and Meta Singh for including me. Uh, cyclical sec sectors, including financials and energy, were favored among the 11 sectors in a, quote, sign that the rally at these levels and beyond can be sustained, uh, said Tom Hayes. So, you know, it's just reemphasizing the same theme that we've been pounding on every single week since, since mid-March was the cyclicals. And today, when I was on, and we'll have that video up either this weekend or next week uh, when I get it from them, uh, you know, we made a similar point on Liz's show this afternoon was, you know, we've had the, the largest steepening of the yield curve in the last few weeks than we've ever seen since 2009 and 2003. What was the commonality of 2009 and 2003? We were coming out of a recession, deep recessions in both instances, and um when that happens cyclicals outperform uh the yield curve steepens which reliquifies the bank because their net interest margin profit center goes up and they can earn more than just you know 50 percent of their revenue is fees but then that net interest margin kicks in from the steepening yield curve and every time that the yield curve has steepened this quickly uh it's led to a multi-year rally in banks and financials so we're just starting that now and we're excited to finally see it happen and we've been pounding the table uh for uh since march and i, I said to liz on the show today i said liz i remember i was on the show in late march at you know when the market was down 35 percent or whatever and i remember um wells fargo i i still have the the post-it note here from when I was on the show, I was talking about all these high quality stocks that were down and Wells Fargo was 52, down 52% at that point, yielding 7%. And I said to Liz, so do you think they're going to do 50% less loans next year than they did last year? And, um, you know, we were, we're not talking about, uh, you know, some speculative stock that has a $100 million market cap. This is a, a world-class franchise, one of the biggest lending businesses in the world, uh, down 52% because of a liquidity crisis caused by the coronavirus, the selective shutdown. And sure enough, they're off to the races today. Wells Fargo, uh, U.S. Bank Corp were just flying. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that stuff start to start to bear out. Uh, so you got one thing, the yield curve is steepening. You're going to have the stress test results in the next couple of weeks. The expectations are so low on that that uh, I think they'll be able to step over the bar and hopefully keep their dividend intact. People were obviously afraid of the dividends getting cut or buyback re restrictions. Um, but I think that the, t the results are going to come out so well because there's over $20 billion of PPP 
program fees that the banks have taken in in Q2 that are going to show up in Q3 uh, in the Q2 earnings season. And it may even be more because the second round of the PPP was the smaller loans. The average loan was like $50,000, I think. And they get five points on those. So it might even be more than $20 billion of earnings. That's going to go a long way to offset the credit reserves on consumer credit cards and auto loans and that type of stuff that they've had to take reserves. Um, that that fee income that they wouldn't have if not for the crisis uh, should offset a lot of that and put them in a good position with the stress test results. Uh, the other thing Liz asked about and the producers was um, a negative rate policy. And the good news, as we've seen in recent weeks, is that uh, there will be no negative rate policy in the U.S. They have many other tools at their disposal from asset purchases. And even one governor, Fed governor, was talking about yield curve control. I, I think they've been doing it already. With the way the yield curve steepened in the last three weeks, I think they're already on top of yield curve control, which is a great thing for banks and a great thing for the economy. Because if the banks can make money when they lend, they're going to extend credit. And if they extend credit in a massive way, we're going to grow out of this super duper fast. So, um, you know, this is a this is a very, very good thing for Main Street, because as long as credit stays open, you know, what happened in 2008, 2009 is the banks had capital shortages and they just cut everyone's credit. They cut their credit cards. They cut their limits. They cut they cut uh, called in mortgage, you know, all kinds of crazy things that contracted the whole economy, <clears throat> whereas this time, if they, steep, you know, steepen the yield curve, they're going to make money hand over fist and the Main Street and Wall Street's going to uh, Main Street and consumers and small businesses are going to get all the credit that they need to grow fast. Uh, we saw, heard a stat today, new business applications are through the roof. This is a gr the greatest time to start a new business is in a recession because you get all the growth from the cycle coming out of it. So, um, so that was covered today. Um, uh, the other reason you're not going to see negative rates is because this Fed actually learns from history, which is why they have been so effective in uh, dealing with this policy. It's, it's almost as if, um, what, uh, so Chair Powell, I think, learned from what happened in December of 2018 by raising too quickly. And in this instance, he has gone above and beyond the call of duty in terms of the programs that they put together with the Treasury and the administration, um, you know, I was I was going to talk about the employment reports, and we're going to get into that in a second. But how do you go from negative 20 million jobs in April to positive 2.5 million jobs in May in 30 days? There's only one answer to that question, and it's brilliant policy formulation and implementation. I don't care what your politics are, uh, Democrat, Republican, independent. You have to admit that had they not acted as quickly as they did and with the force and magnitude that they did, we would have been in probably a depression. And instead, we're coming out of this and people are getting back to work and the jobs are coming back. So... Uh, you know, huge credit to the administration. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, obviously I've talked a lot about Secretary Mnuchin. Uh, Chair Powell has really stepped up to the plate in a major, major way, most improved player of all time. He's going to go down in history probably as, as well as uh, uh, Larry Kudlow. Obviously President Trump had to approve all of this and be part of all of this. This has been 
a huge thing economically speaking. Okay, we have some social things that we're going to work. You know, uh, there are many more qualified people than I that have been on TV and talked about the plans that they're implementing in their companies and in their businesses to make things right. And we're going to see more and more of that. And I think this will be a seminal moment for the good. Um, but to the point about Chair Powell, what they learned, the Fed, was, was that what they did in Europe with negative rates was an absolute failure. Um, they you know, if you want to destroy your banks, implement negative rate policy. And that's exactly what happened in Europe. And you know all the banks, uh, Deutsche Bank, Sokgen, BNB Paribas, they're all zombies, effectively. And uh, that was a function of a misguided policy um, and not having a unified bond. And there are a number of factors that went into the, the, uh, that problem. But our Fed has learned from that history and said, we will not do negative rates. Maybe we'll do yield curve control. Maybe we'll do more asset purchases. We have unlimited tools in our toolbox, but negative rates is not going to be one of that. And that's, that's going to be huge for the banks. That's going to keep the spigots of credit flowing. And it's going to be really, really good for the economy. So uh, that's good news. Um, now, the jobs report. I want to cover that because there are a lot of good things that came out of that today. Um, we talked about negative 20 million to positive 2.5. Um, the labor force participation rate uh, exceeded expectations, went up to 60.8 from 60.2. That is a sign of health and rehiring. Uh, manufacturing was the star, which is really interesting. I think people are now nervous about their supply chains globally, that they're bringing manufacturing back, which has been a core tenet of this administration since the beginning. You went from negative 1.3 million jobs in April to positive 225,000 in May. Manufacturing is coming back, uh, and that's a good thing uh, for middle class income and, and jobs. Um, and hours worked were up from uh, 34.2 to 34.7. So all big signs of health. I'm going to pull up a couple of these screenshots I had today just so you can see um, goods producing up 669,000. Construction up 464,000. You got to meet that demand. We've talked about home builders a lot in recent weeks. So that's meeting demand from millennials that are now in housing formation mode and accelerating wanting to go out to the suburbs after this coronavirus. This is all going to be positive stuff. The bigger the house, the more furniture they have to buy, the more furniture they buy, the more cars they buy, the more kids they have. It's great for the economy. It's what led the economy from 1982 to 2000. It's what led the economy from 1952, uh, I'm sorry, 1948 to 1968. Two of the biggest booms in history were led by a large demographic, i.e. Uh, the baby boomers. And in this case, the millennials are bigger than the baby boomers. Uh, this is going to be a positive thing. Obviously, we saw manufacturing jobs up 225, retail jobs up 368. And look at this, leisure and hospitality that got the monkey hammer with this, just got hit like crazy um, more than any other sector, up 1.29 million jobs. So people are traveling again, hotels, and um, this is this is was really, really good. I mean, I was very optimistic on the jobs report, but this even blew away my expectations. And this could not have happened without the policies, the magnitude and the speed of the policies implemented by this administration absolutely turned a crisis into an opportunity 
and people are going to feel this on Main Street. There's going to be a lag behind the stock market of about three months, four months. But by the end of this year, people are going to feel good. And, you know, what's really interesting, in January, the minority population in the country had the lowest unemployment rate in the history of the country. That's good news. But what's even better news is their wage, their wage levels were going up every single month you saw wage inflation. And that's even more reflected in this week's job report. The, the wage levels went up uh, materially because they have the extra safety pay. And these are going to stick as this economy recovers. Uh, these increased wages are going to stick and it's going to be a great, great thing for the middle class and, and, and beyond. So um, as hard and as sad as this has been and we've lost a lot of lives and a lot of sadness and a lot of jobs in the short term, uh, a lot of good is going to come from this. Um, just the ability of people now to work from home with Zoom and their bosses to feel comfortable with that now. It used to be, you know, work from home used to be like, oh, yeah, maybe we'll talk about it. But now people are seeing productivity. And maybe this is what's been holding up uh, productivity rates from really going up materially in the last decade or so. Maybe this is exactly what's needed. Rather than spending two hours commuting door to door, you know, you get up, yeah, at least two or three days a week, you get up, boom, right to your desk. You're productive, you're fresh, you're not killing yourself with two hours of a commute and sitting in traffic. So this could be a very, very good thing moving forward. Um, okay, so uh, thank you again to Devik Jane and Meta Singh. And again today, Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on the show. Uh, really enjoyed that. Just breaking down the granularity of the jobs report, as I said, the uh, uh, hours worked, weekly hours went up, the manufacturing payrolls were a big beat. They were expected to be negative 440, up 225. Non-farm was expected to be negative 8 million, uh, and it was plus 2.5. And the unemployment rate was expected to be close to 20. Now it's at 13.3, which means we can get it to single digits uh, before the end of the year, which is good news. So uh, this week's article, the Morgan Whalen chasing new stock market and sentiment results. So this week's stock market theme song was Morgan Whalen's chasing you. He's a country star and managers who were dramatically underweight equities and, and really missed the rally were reluctantly forced to succumb to uh, Morgan's lyrics this week. They scrambled to gain equity exposure and chase the stock market rally. And, you know, just going back to, you know, when we were talking about these high quality franchises, like Wells Fargo was down 52%, peak to try, Cisco was down 35% that day. Uh, United Technologies, now uh, Raytheon, was down 56%. JP Morgan was down like 42%. Pfizer was down 30%. I remember saying, do you think people are going to take 30% less of their medication next year than they did last year? And, uh, and Liz laughed, and, you know, it's proven to be uh, true. You know, Coca-Cola was down 40%. Uh, yielding 5%. And at that point, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen because the numbers did look like a depression. If the policy, if they didn't step in with the, the administration, didn't do what they did, it may very well have been. But my point was, you know, if I look three years out, are, are people going to drink 40% less Coca-Cola than they're drinking right now? And the answer is, 
No, so maybe it, maybe it would have gone down 60% instead in the short term. But, you know, you're not trading on margin. You know, that's rule number one. If you ever listen to Warren Buffett, you never trade on margin. So what if it went down from you bought it 40 percent off and it went down 60? Because at some point it's going to make new highs because the population is going to grow. Demand's going to grow. And these are the highest quality fortress franchises. We weren't buying, you know, some, uh, you know, plastic denture maker or something like that you know or some new idea we were buying decades old franchises that were just trading at 50 percent off and no one was interested you know and the joke was you know wall street is the only place when they hold a sale no one shows up um but anyway there's still a lot on sale so we're going to talk about that today and there's still great opportunity um Okay, so in our March 19th article, we stated we're selectively and slowly adding to those stocks and sectors which are nearing valuation levels that we would define as pricing in at or near the worst case scenario. We just went through some of those names. You can click on this article. The other thing we did in this article, if you remember back then, is we charted out because uh, the, the U.S. market, I think, was down like 31 percent at that point, And we charted out what happened during the Spanish flu from 1917 to 1918. And we showed that even at the worst case of the Spanish flu, it was down 33%. So the worst might be behind us. And it's worth reviewing that article just to see in all the chaos, if you keep your wits about you and you just look, look dispassionately at the facts, um, it, it can be helpful in spite of the fact it was crazy and it was uncertain for sure. <clears throat> um, the following week was also very interesting because we said, Active managers will have to regain exposure in coming weeks as the worst of the news starts to move into the rearview mirror. And at that point, active investment managers were at 10.65% equity exposure. I mean, that was like super, super low if you looked at the long-term chart. And you can do it. Just pull up this article here, click on that link, and review the article. So you can see for the next time. You know, I put out a quote on Twitter today. Um, Luck is when preparation meets opportunity, uh, Seneca said. So, you know, buying a lot when the market was down a lot, in some sense was lucky because it could have gone a lot lower in the short term. But over the long term, we know eventually we would have made new highs. The question was, would it take one year, three years, five years, or in the case of the Great Depression, ten, you know, 10 years or, or more? Um, but when you you should definitely review this because this is going to happen at some point again in the future and then you'll be able to the, the way you improve over time is by doing it wrong okay and failing that's the number one key that i found just screw up a lot and learn from your mistakes and then when you see it again you're going to say i've seen this movie before here's how you here here are the odds on how this plays out and how we can position so you know, taking the time to take a look at what were things looking like in one of the worst, quickest drawdowns in market history. And if you lock that in your brain, when it happens again, instead of being a seller, you're going to be a buyer and you're going to be a buyer for the long term. And uh, and it wasn't easy, especially, you know, it, it wasn't easy at that point. There were a lot of really important, smart people that um, were very down on the market at that point, and justifiably so based on the data, because if, if the administration had not formulated and implemented those policies as they did, uh, what you would extrapolate from what was happening at the moment was a depression. And, 
you know, the people that were either caught short or shorting in the hole got very angry as the market rose because they said this shouldn't be happening based on all the numbers. It shouldn't be that we're not in a free normal market. And you can't trade idealism. You can't trade what should be. You have to trade what is. So if you're a market purist and say, no, let out all these businesses fail so we can save the people most at risk and we'll rebuild and that's a good thing. We get rid of the weak and we start the new cycle strong. Uh, you know, that, that's a reasonable argument, but it, there's no, you know, even if you think that's how it should be, you know that's not how it's going to be, okay? There's no will to cause 30% unemployment among elected officials who are sent to Washington to represent the interests of the people. That elect them. Therefore, you know that they have to do some type of intervention so that the populace doesn't get damaged uh, and hurt. And that's exactly what happens over and over. And they were able to act quickly and with massive force and really saved us from what could have been very, very dark days. So um, we, should, we should be grateful for that. And for those that are still having a really tough time going through everything right now, socially, politically, everything that's going on, you know, it, it is a tough time, but it's going to get a lot better. And it's going to get a lot better probably sooner than anyone expects. And it's going to trickle down to Main Street in a huge, huge, massive way and maybe bring about growth rates, you know, towards the end of this year, certainly next year, that would never have been possible had this tragedy not happened because of all the amount of global stimulus, uh, both fiscal and monetary. And that's what we were saying last year. We said, you know, Many people were saying that monetary policy has met its limits. And unless Germany steps up to the plate to allow Europe to do fiscal stimulus, and we see fiscal stimulus around the world, we cannot grow. And what this tragedy has brought about is the amazing opportunity and the whole, the global government policy now having 12% of GDP in fiscal stimulus alone, never mind all the monetary stimulus, is going to go a long way to bring growth, to bring jobs, to bring wage inflation, to 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 restore, I think, a tremendous amount of middle class, good paying jobs over time coming out of this. But it's not going to be tomorrow. So just be patient. It's going to be quicker than anyone could have anticipated, though. And a lot of good things are lined up. Um, these are the five stocks that I touched on. These were stocks value stocks that no one wanted to touch coming out of the last recession and what happened lockheed martin a defense contractor look at this thing i mean it was it's up now it reached up 10 times during this cycle and no one wanted to touch it it was a laggard value stock home depot was a boring retailer trading at 20 bucks it went up over 20 uh, 10 times 10 times in this cycle um united healthcare was a boring old healthcare stock and same thing over 10 times in this cycle. Boeing was a boring industrial stock, not some fancy new growth cloud company. No one wanted to touch it. And it went up 20 times in this cycle to its peak and it's gonna recover. So what are gonna be the laggard boring stocks that no one wants to touch because they're not named Zoom today? What's gonna lead the next 10 years out of this? And I'm length, I, I started with what starts out of recessions are the cyclicals. Later in the cycle, the growth has their, their major day in the sun, like you saw in recent years, growth led the way. Cyclicals lead the way out of recessions. So um, we've pounded the table on banks, home builders, small caps, um, 
defense stocks and energy stocks and we're seeing these guys start to lead why because the market's sniffing out this is our second quarter of negative growth by the time they declare the recession the market's already discounting the recovery which you're seeing and these stocks will lead in the early part of the recovery they'll get the biggest gains in the early part of the recovery so um we covered this last week as well uh, yield curve steepening. So this is the chart of the yield curve steepening, which I've been re-emphasizing on this phone, on this uh, video cast podcast. Uh, here, so the last two times that the 210 spread, uh, two-year Treasury, ten-year Treasury uh, yields steepened. So this is in, when it goes below one, one to one. That's a, an inversion. And that always presages or signals a recession is to come six to 18 months later. We actually inverted in August and we just got the recession seven, you know, seven months later after that. So that signal worked again 100% of the time. But what also happens is after you invert and get your recession, when the yield curve steepens, the difference between the two and 10, banks borrow short, that's what they pay for capital, and they lend long. That's what they charge for capital. The bigger that spread is, the higher this line goes, the more money they make, okay? So, and that's a specific policy that most central banks aim for is to steepen that curve, to reliquify the banks so that they can lend and extend credit so that the economy can restart and regrow. And they did it in 2003. That was the bottom of the market when it hit these levels. And banks, this is the green line after that relief, uh, steepening of the curve, banks took off multi-year, four-year huge rally in banks and financials. Same thing 2009, you had your inversion, you had your recession and your crash. Same thing here, 2000 to 2001. Uh, you had your inversion, you had your recession and crash, and then you had your steepening, and the banks took off for years. You had your inversion in 2006 or seven, I think 2007. Um, you had your crash, you had your steepening of the yield curve, reliquification of the banks, and the banks took off for basically a nine-year unabated rally. Um, and now you've had your inversion, you've had your crash, you've had your reliquification. It's already up to four, which is bigger than the 2003 level. And uh, likely and probably we will have a multi-year rally in banks and financials. That's what, the, that's what we're betting on. Nothing is ever guaranteed. All you can look is probabilistic advantages and manage your risk, but um, things are setting up pretty well. <clears throat> um, this is the article from, I think, mid-April when we made the case for cyclicals. I think we went through energy, industrials, value versus growth, financials. You can review that here. Why do you want to review it? Because the more you study history, the next time these you, you get things right by doing them wrong. Or you can learn from other people's experience of doing it wrong and then getting it right. And that's how you can shorten your learning curve. Review this historical data, it will help you. And when you see this movie again, you're gonna to make tons of money because you're gonna be ready for it. Um, okay, uh, this is just a, this chart is just uh, asset class performance for the month of May and uh, year to date. So you can go through that. The other thing that is very positive to see is that 
the high yield credit index as a whole is dramatically has dramatically underperformed the high yield energy index coming off the March lows, which again shows at the credit level, which the, they always say the bond people are much smarter than the equity people. Um, I don't know about that because I'm an equity person, but <laughs> it's probably true. Uh, the bond market de definitely sniffed out the correction in um, March, that's for sure. It, it definitely sniffed it out. Bonds, uh, the 10-year was rising. Yields were compressing uh, in January and February, and some people pointed that out, and they were right. So, um, but this time, so the cyclicals credit is outperforming the, the entire index as a whole. That's a very, very positive sign for cyclicals and for the economy on the whole. Um, the City Global Economic Surprise Index for Asia beat expectations this week. This was confirmed by the Chinese PMIs or back in expansion, depending on which survey between 51 and 53, anything over 50 is expansion. That is huge good news because their peak cases were February 5th. Our peak cases were April 15th. So we're about two and a half months behind their recovery. Their oil demand is back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, their air travels over 50% of pre-pandemic levels. So we're going to get there. Could you imagine if our air travel is back at 50% of pre-pandemic levels three and a half months after April 15th would be... Uh, like by August, having 1.2 million people a day on the planes, that would be mind-boggling. By the way, we're already up uh, three or four hundred percent off the lows. We're going to look at those numbers in just a second. Um, this is kind of sad and funny at the same time. Uh, tech sector remains on a buyback binge dis despite trading at historic valuation levels. Uh, my key question to the tech CEOs is where were your buybacks in 2009 when no one wanted your stocks and you had tons of cash? Um, and now that your the valuations are at really high historic levels for that sector, not uh, uh, they're buying back everything in sight. That is, um, you know, maybe I'm old school, but, you know, I like to buy low and sell high. Um, nonetheless, uh, you can take a look at the distribution pyramid of returns in the stock market since 1825, which is pretty cool, kind of shows you where we may fall in for this year's range. Um, the, the middle finger of this chart is zero to 10% on the positive side. That would be nice. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, now onto the shorter term general view of the market. This is really interesting because you know, I look at a ton of indicators and I don't take anyone in isolation because there's no edge in that. You just take a bunch and if they're all pointing to the same thing, you know if you should be adding risk or lightening up on risk. But the sentiment survey, based on how much the markets run now over 40% off the lows, um, to see that as of Thursday morning or Wednesday night, the sentiment among retail people is only at 34.5% bullish, which is right here. Extreme is, you know, above 40, basically, is an extreme when you start to get a little bit worried. The fact that they only got to 35 this week is pretty mind-boggling, which tells me there's still disbelief in this rally, or there are people who maybe missed it and hope that it goes back down so they can buy, so they're negative, they're kind of willing the market back down. 
uh, and hopefully they'll get their opportunity. You know, I, I think everyone would like to buy more uh, at better prices. That's always a good strategy, but uh, they're not euphoric. And the bears are in no way complacent. They're not down in the 20s yet. So that's a good sign for people who are um, for, for, for the bulls. Uh, also, the CNN Fear and Greed Index was only at 61 yesterday. I'm sure this is higher today. But uh, I remember, you know, you can look back at the articles. Um, by the way, how you look at all of the articles, weekly research note archive, you can click on here or under categories, you can just click on uh, sentiment and they all come up and you can see what we said each week based on what the market was doing. Um, so I remember it was at zero, it was pinned at zero basically. Uh, you can see it right down here and that's when you wanna be a buyer and you wanna to start to think about lightening up when it's between 80 and 100, which is where it got, got to 100 in January, February. So this is a good barometer. It's not perfect, nothing is, but it, it gives you probabilistic advantages if you use a bunch of things in concert. And this is not showing euphoria yet. I, I didn't look at the end of day numbers. My guess is they're probably closer to 70 now, 70 or 80, but um, that was good news to see that there's a little more gas in the tank. Now, <laughs> um, as we said, at the reason that we, entitled the article Chasing You and by the way the lyrics of the song are kind of funny because it's exactly what managers had to do it says chasing you like a shot of whiskey burning going down burning going down there are a lot of managers skeptical managers who were negative or god forbid short in the hole that um, didn't believe it and they reduced their equity exposure, and now they, they know they're chasing up, but they have to. They, they're so far behind their benchmark, they had to panic chase up. So like a, like a shot burning going down, they have to take it, but it's painful. Uh, the same thing is happening for managers that um, were in disbelief. And, you know, again, justifiably so, based on the numbers that we were seeing down here before this administration quickly, forcefully, and massively acted to turn things around, and you have to give them credit, regardless of what political event you are in. What they did was miraculous, based on where we were headed. Um, so now they're chasing up, and you could say, okay, it's getting a little frothy here, we have to watch, but, you know, coming out of a period of dislocation, um, and seeing the broad participation now, it'll be interesting to see how high this goes. So our message for the week was we've had a monster run off the, uh, over the last 10 weeks. For this rally to continue uh, up already 40%, we'll need to see this trend of broadening participation and partial rotation from leaders to laggards that we discussed in previous week's notes persist. So... In last week's note and the week before, we talked about the top five stocks, uh, F, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, and Google, and Alphabet, um, Alphabet, and um, anyway, the top five stocks make up over 25% of the weight of the S&P 500. Um, what you're seeing now, and we're going to go through it, you looked at up and down stocks, is because, so the point that we're making was that the indices 
can underperform the cyclicals in coming weeks and months. In other words, cyclicals are now the huge catch-up trade because no one wanted them. And now they're starting to rip because that's what happens coming out of a recession and when the yield curve steepens. So, um, so to participate, uh, basically Ryan Dietrich put out this chart yesterday or the day before. It got a lot of coverage. Uh, and he basically said this is the biggest 50-day rally ever. And what happens a month later is it slows down, okay? The average return is uh, nine-tenths of a percent. Uh, three months is 5.4%. Six months is 10.2. And 12 months out, the average return is 17.3%, even after over and above that huge rally we've had of 40-plus percent. That's the good news. The bad news is in the short term is where it becomes the most subdued. So while the indices as a whole may go up, um, you know, different frothy pockets of the market, which we're going to talk about, um, may go up a lot less and they might even go negative while the general indices are going up or staying flat. And at the same time, laggard cyclical stocks are going through the roof, even if the market's not going high. There's never been a more exciting time to be a stock picker than in this type of environment, because it's not just risk on, risk off, everything goes up, everything goes down. It's um, you really get paid for knowing your sector rotation and being able to anticipate where the puck is going. Like we covered uh, Gretzky a couple weeks ago, you can pull that one up. So, um, what we pointed out here is that, so the return, the expected return is positive in the next three months, but not at the same rate. So how do we hedge out all the gains and still participate? Because we want to hold all these things that we were buying when, when the sale was, was being held in, in size um, at the early April, late March period. And we went through some of those type of stocks uh, earlier in this podcast, video cast. But at the same time, we want to take advantage of those areas that are frothy so we can have a partial hedge while the cyclicals are going up huge and we're holding those for the long term. If the market gets flat or other sectors start to weaken a bit where there's froth, pockets of froth, we can do that. And um, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we added a few shorts for the first time in the whole rally, not to be bearish, but to be have a partial hedge against our long-term holdings. Um, even if the market goes up, these particular frothy stocks would probably dramatically underperform in a pair trade format, uh, if not go down. And if the market went down, they'd dramatically outperform. So they actually did really well yesterday. Um, today, not so much, but that's okay. They're doing their job and the sizing of the cyclicals we have more than overpowers Un unbelievable uh, things happen today. So, um, so what are some of the frothy parts? Um, let's just wrap up. So, so basically, this is the 10-day moving average of the equity put-call ratio. And what we pointed out was, you know, when you get down to these 0 0.50 levels, even if it doesn't mean an immediate correction, like look here in 2014, the market didn't crash. It still went up a lot more. But in the next couple of weeks, it did pull back. That was probably a 3% 3, 3 pullback there, but the market continued to rally. It was just a little pullback in a long rally, similar to the little pullback we had a few weeks ago. Um, so it doesn't mean we're crashing. So that's why you're not like, oh, it's time to get short. The market's up 40%. N not, not the case. 
Um, in 2011, same thing. You, you continue to rally more even after that level hit, but then you got a, a bigger correction in, in late 2011. Um, same thing in 2010, you had a huge rally off the lows and then you had a correction before the rally resumed. So these levels, it, it just shows some aspect of complacency that's not yet showing up in the fear and greed and in the um, AAII results. I would say out of the 100 or so indicators I look at, um, certainly more than half are at you know um, levels where you start to look at how do you hedge out your gains and stay long. Um, but there are you know 30 or 40% that are saying we still have room to go. So um, that's a good thing. And I think we are gonna go certainly in the right sectors as we covered last week. And here, uh, so not only did we add a few shorts, we also topped up a few selective cyclicals long in the past week that are still trading at historically subdued valuations and levels. Uh, we believe these names can continue to perform and play catch up even if the general indices slow or pause or take a breather in coming weeks. And then in bold and uh, underlined, I said, in case we forgot to mention it repeatedly for the last eight to 10 weeks, we still like banks as noted in the featured image for the article. The featured image for those of you on the podcast is the Monopoly man, the banker in his little suit, uh, jumping up and down because he's making money like banks did in the last few weeks. Um, we also like and own pockets of defense stocks, home builders, energy, small caps. I think the best thing about the US-China rhetoric is it's just brought a lot of attention to how inexpensive that defense stocks are trading relative to the market. And I think more and more people are gonna recognize that as they look for value and catch up. Um, it'll not be a straight line up, but over the next six to 18 months, we believe we will see relative strength and outperformance in these groups. This will happen as demand kicks in, people continue to return to work. We're seeing that left and right. All the states are now open. Wait till we get the big states open like New York, um, what that's going to do for demand and what will be now over $10 trillion of stimulus aid and liquidity starts to circulate in the economy. Money only circulates when people go back to work, they get out, demand kicks in, and then velocity is going to pick up. So um, this is good news. And then lastly, we just said to reiterate that we think we can see levels by the first half of 2021 growth levels that we've never seen before, just based on the amount of global fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus that wouldn't have been there had this tragedy not happened. So retail investors are still cautious, not yet at euphoric levels that probably ticked up a little bit towards the end of the week here, but um, active managers did trip over themselves to panic buy in this past week. They probably had to do more today and yesterday. So, you know, um, uh, that, that's why we put on a light hedge uh, in pockets of tech. The other thing, look at it today, and it, this was a perfect example of this. I wrote that article Wednesday night and finished it Thursday morning before we put it out. Um, look at what led today. Okay, Occidental, Royal Caribbean, all recovery stocks, uh, cyclical stocks, um, Boeing, Ford, uh, okay, uh, Suncor, Halliburton, Fleetcore. Uh, these are all uh, Marathon, couple REITs, Hess, ConocoPhillips, and then banks. So it was basically energy and financials again, leading the way up. And look, believe it or not, on an 800 point up day on the Dow, there were a lot of stocks down, 
okay? So Shopify, okay, cloud, cloud type stock, uh, some healthcare stocks, uh, eBay was down, um, Illumina, that's a bi biotech, uh, Zoom was down, okay, cloud stock, Match was down, cloud stock. Market's up 800 points and there are stocks that are down. Tech and cloud stocks were down. This is the rotation. So um, these are the type of frothy pockets that I'm talking about that, um, let me see what else they had, uh, just to give you an idea here. This is, in the morning, I think there was one negative stock in the Dow, it was Microsoft uh, early in the morning today after the jobs report. The market was up like a thousand, Dow was up. Uh, I'm talking Dow turns because all different types of people, for the professionals listening, you know, if I'm not talking about S&P numbers, it's because I'm not only talking to you. Uh, just like on TV, they talk about the Dow because people can identify with that from Main Street. So um, again, more cloud stocks. Smuckers, that's, that was a defensive stock. Um, they've had their huge runs when there was fear in the market. Now they're selling off a little bit. Uh, BioMarin, again, a biotech stock. Uh, Vive. Uh, that is a cloud stock was negative today, negative. Um, uh, so Kroger, that's, you know, that was people stocking up on food. Akama, uh, that was negative. Vertex, biotech. So biotech's uh, crowdsource. So biotech's and cloud stocks were negative in a day that the market was up led by cyclicals. These are the pockets of froth where we initiated a few shorts just to hedge out and stay long our cyclicals um, and they're working. So it's, just, it's definitely a stock picker's market and just a great, great time of opportunity. Um, next, just some quick anecdotes on the recovery. Restaurant bookings have fully recovered in Germany in a sign that activity rebounds quickly as lockdowns eased. Can you imagine that? Fully recover? If we got back 1.29 million jobs or, or uh, 1.29 million jobs in the restaurant and travel business in this jobs report, as we're opening, what's going to happen? I mean, uh, we, we've been doing restaurants, but you got to sit outside and, you know, been doing a lot of takeout. I mean, wait till these suckers open up. The demand is going to be staggering. Could you imagine in New York, and in LA, what that's gonna do for jobs when everyone goes back to work, plus they've got stimulus money, uh, and they're probably gonna get another one. By the way, if you're listening on the podcast, if you get cut off, the last five minutes will be at hedgefundtips.com. It'll be in the video cast form. I don't want you to miss anything, um, but we're gonna get cut off here at uh, in the next minute on the podcast. Video cast, uh, we'll keep going. So, um, Germany full recovery. This was the China PMIs up sharply in May. No one expected much better than expected. They were, uh, China services PMI rose to 55 in May from 44 in April. So that's expansion. Even Lyft stock is climbing after the company reported solid rebound in rides. That seems a little early to me, but it just shows people want to get out. People want to get back to it. And again, our TSA throughput, I only brought this up again because we had a huge jump again yesterday. So we troughed in on April 14th at 90,000, no, April 14th at 87,000 people went through the airport security in the whole country, down from over 2 million a year before. And we jumped now to 391,000. 
thousand, um, which is just huge, and that's a ninety-one thousand jump over yesterday. Now we're still down eighty percent from uh, two point six million last year and two point three million yesterday, but. Again, if you follow the China model, what if we could be at 1.2 to 1.4 million by August with people wearing masks and being careful? By the way, the safest place is in the plane. The, the risky place is in the airport.